What is today? Friday. No, no, I mean the day. August 23rd. And that is my birthday. 22 big ones. Oh, Pete, it's starting to go by too fast. Well, I know I didn't have time to wrap it, but, you know. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, shouldn't have, Pete. No, I don't. Gary and I saw it in the surplus store, and I said, that's got to be yours. This is unbelievable. Pete, I don't know how I'm ever going to thank you. How does it look? You were born to wear that jacket. Do you know that era is the only head coach in Notre Dame history that encourages walk-on players? You probably know more about that team than half the players. I can't wait to get there. Guess how much money I have saved up? Uh, what? 20. 30, uh, 80, 50. Thousand dollars. Oh! <laughs> That's a good start. You're the only one who ever took me serious, Pete. Well, you know what my dad always said. Having dreams is what makes life tolerable. Uh, the film clip you just watched was from the movie called Rudy. Now, Rudy and his childhood friend there that you saw, Pete, had graduated from high school and landed at a local factory where their families had always worked. And for those four long years, Rudy had worked in the factory. But on his birthday, this 22nd birthday, Pete's gift of the jacket of Notre Dame reminded Rudy of his dream to play for that football team, as, on, as improbable as it seemed. I, I really believe as we focus today on friendship, um, we need a friend who sees in us what we're really meant to be. Now, as we come to the close of our Gospel Imagineer series, we must now consider how life in God means friendship with God. And I hope that as you hear the message today, your imagination will get stirred uh, that when we live by faith, it means knowing that God is our friend. And then the question becomes, how does living as a friend of God change how we behave and how, what we become? So we want to welcome Brent Hudson, our teaching pastor, as he speaks this weekend on Friends of God, Loving as Jesus Loves. Well, it's been a while since I've been up here, and uh, it's great to be back. just wanted to send greetings to both Allison and uh, Brentwood campuses as, we, uh, as they watch this on video. And I just, this whole series has been uh, kind of an adventure for me, you know, and, and I always love the fact of being a part of the teaching team here at the Journey Church because everything uh, seems to get 
eventually wrapped up in, uh, you know, I call it a fun wrapper. You know, you start with this serious topic and I come in the room and sit at the table and we're hashing out what we're going to preach on. And, and I'll say, well, we need to, this series, Dave, needs to be on the, uh, the life-changing discipline of following Jesus. You know, what, what we need to do to, to become great for Jesus. And, uh, you know, it goes around the table and we're batting around ideas and eventually pop out comes gospel imagineers. <laughs> and you're thinking, wow, how did we get to there? But you know what? It captures the idea in a fantastic way because it speaks to that idea of letting our imagination just run free with the possibilities of living for Christ in this world. The boundaries are set by the gospel, but that's, that's it. Everything else, just dream big and then make it happen. And, uh, and really, as we looked at this idea of what does it mean to be a person who says yes to the call of Jesus, come and follow me, we started to think of um, different aspects, core parts of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, and we looked at, um, at the idea of pr- apprenticeship, of being an apprentice, that we all have things to learn. We all have new ground to cover in our walk with the Lord. We looked at this idea of, of pilgrims that were on a journey that we're, we haven't arrived yet. Uh, we're a work in progress, but yet we're a people with a destination. We know where we're going and, uh, and, and we move forward in that and, and being able to show grace to one another, realizing that we're all at different places on that grand journey journey that Jesus calls us on. And then the idea of storyteller. And I've always been reminded when I I hear that idea about Paul's writing to the Corinthian church when he says, should we be like others who need to bring letters of recommendation? He says, surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Paul says that we are living letters. We represent We're writing a story. We're either validating or invalidating the truth of what we say and believe. And Paul believed in that so much that he said, I don't need to bring around letters saying that we're real apostles. You are our letters. And the power of story as it shapes our lives and the importance of understanding that our lives are also communicating a story to the people around us. And now as we come into that last week and uh, we reflect again on this idea of friend of God, what does it mean to be a friend of God? You know, Jesus in that gospel of John, he, he was sitting around talking to his closest allies and he said to them, you are my friends. But It's easy to look at that and say, yeah, well, that was Jesus talking to his closest friends in that time. But then Jesus said, anyone who does what I command is my friend. And in the context of this passage, it's very clear that what Jesus has commanded is for us to love one another as he has loved us. In fact, he he prefaces this entire teaching moment with the words, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And we know at the very core of the gospel that Jesus Christ has laid down his life for you and for me. And he says that he has laid down his life for one's friends. 
These are important ideas as we think about what does it mean to be a friend of God, a friend of Jesus Christ. Paul speaks about it, and we're going to use that passage as our anchor passage this weekend of Romans 5, verse 11. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. This is a, I mean, it's an awesome passage that Paul writes. But when we read it, it's rooted in all the stuff that Paul has written previous to this. It's kind of a conclusion to everything else that he has said. And so what I'd like to do is to read some sections of that earlier part of Romans 5. Just read it to you. You can just listen. Because what Paul is saying to the Roman Christians, he's also saying to we Moncton Christians in this time. And if we don't get what he said earlier, it's hard for us to accept what he's saying in verse 11. Let's listen to Paul. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. As you listen to that, you can't help but hear how weighted the conversation is on what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us. In fact, Paul talks about our faith bringing us into a place of understanding, perhaps bringing us into a place of relationship, but all the heavy lifting God has done for us on our behalf. We need to grasp the immensity of what God has done for us. The distance that he has traveled, the price that he has paid, or we'll never really appreciate what it means to be called a friend of God. It didn't come cheap. It didn't come easy. We need to acknowledge first and foremost that God makes friendship a possibility. It's not us. It's God. The original text here uses an interesting twist in the narrative as Paul is writing this. He describes everything that God has done, how Christ is at the very center of it. And at the very end, he says, and not only that, 
The verse, verse 11, that's how he introduces verse 11. You know, God's done all this and then he did this and we can hope for this and we can see the fruit of it here and when he did this, but not only that, not only that, but even boasting in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. That's a literal translation of that. But now we, we can even boast in God because of what he's done. We can boast in God or glory in God. You know, that word reconciliation is a big technical word. We use it a lot in relationship stuff. But the way we use it in um, modern speaking sometimes doesn't capture the heart of what this New Testament word is trying to reveal to us. If we look up in the sort of standard dictionary for the Greek text that scholars use, and we look up this word, what we see is an extended uh, meaning of this to be the exchange of hostility for a friendly relationship. Now, if that were me, I would have simply said the exchange of hostility for friendship. The exchange of hostility for friendship. And it is an exchange. And first comes one, then comes the other. Sometimes when we think of reconciliation, we think of uh, that we put up with each other. Or that we tolerate each other. Or we live under the shadow of you screwed up and I'll never let you forget that, but I'll let you hang out with me sometimes, maybe. We're reconciled. And sometimes that would be a great hope to even get to that. But that's not what the term means in the New Testament. When Paul uses this term, he simply means exchanging hostility for friendship. When the text says that Jesus Christ has given us reconciliation, what it means is that he has exchanged hostility for friendship. While we were enemies with God, the text says, Christ died for us. He exchanged hostility for friendship. And God did this. He did this for us. He's taken the initiative of friendship. And the foundation is solid. And the reason why it's solid is because we're not the ones who did it. We're not the ones creating it. It's not up to us. It's not up to us to get it all right, to say the right words, to pray the right prayer, to read the right version, to go to the right seat, to talk to the right people. It's not on us. God has done the work. We respond to what God has done in faith in that we believe that God has done it in Christ for us. We accept what he's done for us. That he has exchanged hostility for friendship. That now, instead of being an enemy, we can live in peace with God. Now, these are big ideas. And we need to anchor our thoughts in these big ideas. Because otherwise we will get, well, I guess we get derailed in our understanding of our salvation even. We start thinking too much about our contribution and what we must do. And sure, there are things we must do. And sure, there are paths of obedience that we need to follow. 
But if we anchor our understanding of salvation, of our personal relationship with God in how I perform, then I'm going to always be a little bit insecure about my relationship with God. I'm going to always be concerned that I might not even get into heaven. We need to have faith in what God has done. God has canceled the debt. God has taken the initiative. And it is God who calls us friends. We're not running into his presence and saying, hey, I'm here, I'm your friend. God is extending his arm, his hand to us. And he says, believe and be a friend. God took the initiative, and you know what? So must we in our human relationships. M. Griffin, Griffith, uh, once professor of communication at Wheaton College and a former Murray lecturer at Crandall University, wrote in his book, Making Friends, that in every friendship, there's one who makes the phone call, or in our day, I suppose, sends the text. And then there's one who receives it and is just happy they have a friend. There's one who initiates, and then there's one who sort of just sits back and lets the friendship be. And when he was here a number of years back, he, he challenged us by saying, which are you? Are you the one that sits back and just lets friendships happen? Or are you the one who initiates? Are you the one who gets out of the, off the couch, goes to the phone, makes the call, sends the email, sets up the coffee appointment, invites the people over for dinner? Which one are you? More often than not, we're the ones that sit back. I know for me, I tend to get busy, life gets busy, all kinds of other excuses. I can run down them, but there's no need because that's what they are. I've chosen to do other things than to initiate. But when we understand what God has done for us, when we understand that God has initiated this path of friendship with us, it challenges us to be initiators in our own right to be the person who reaches out, to be the person who works at connecting with others, who takes the, the initiative to, you know, if you're an introvert like me, to, to crack open the, the, the social wall and, and let a few more in. Knowing that sometimes it's going to wear you out and sometimes you're going to get tired, but knowing that in the end it's worth it. It's worth it for you. It's worth it for them. Everybody wins when we walk this path of friendship with others. But it's not always easy. As demonstrated in the second point I want to make this evening, this weekend, that God's desire to be our friend is greater than our brokenness. And this is important because quite often... Um, this is something that we wrestle with. You know, how could God be a friend for me? How could God be my friend? That just doesn't even make sense. Look at my life. Look at the ways that I've disappointed God. Look at the things that I've done. Look at the ways that I've messed up. God doesn't want to be my friend. God is, God's angry with me. God's angry with the way I live. God's angry with the way I talk. God's angry with the way I think. And we get in these ruts, right, of thinking that God really just wants to pounce on us. That he's this cosmic policeman sitting around on the sidelines of life with a, you know, a sin detector waiting to catch us in the act. 
getting his quota for the day. We, we hold on to this idea of the God of the 100%. It's all or nothing. You've got to get it all right or God wants nothing to do with you. There's problems with these understandings of who God is. Some of them are deeply rooted in who we are as people. Maybe growing up in a family with an unhappy or dissatisfied father figure and it comes out by this authoritative and patient and angry response and, and you just get this sense that that's how God must be. Impatient with me and angry with me for what I do and what I try to get right. And this deeply affects us. Even though their experiences as children, they deeply affect us as adults. And it's hard to separate our experience of human authority that was negative and this idea of the authority of God. Or maybe we're just confused and we have this understanding of, uh, you know, a God in the box. You've heard of a Jack in the box. Well, there's like a God in the box, right? Where you, you got to go into the religious organization and you got to, you got to wind up, you know, you got to jump through all the hoops and write all the tests and get it all right. And, and then eventually when enough energy is expended, poo, God reveals himself. You know, you're in, you're my friend. And you know, you don't have the energy to wind up that box, And you don't know the formulas and you don't understand all the rules and the boundaries and the dress code and all of that stuff. All these ideas about God are false when we evaluate them in the light of Romans chapter 5. When we see that while we were enemies, God stepped out and he didn't just take an easy path. He, He gave himself over. He loved us so much that he was willing to suffer to have the opportunity to be friends with us. He gives us the opportunity to respond. We we respond to this. It's it's not just a one-way street. We need to respond. And yet so great was God's love that he was willing to do all that with only the hope that people would respond. And some do, and some don't. But as we read this passage in Romans chapter 5, ending on this incredible passage, verse 11, we see very clearly that God has indeed exchanged hostility for friendship. Now, if there's one side of the equation of people misunderstanding God and saying, oh, God could never be my friend because, uh, you know, I'm too messed up, there's the other side that completely miss it in the opposite direction. There are those who just basically think that if Jesus were around today, they'd be best buds. They'd kick back, go have a brew together, discuss some big issues of the day. You know, jump right into the whole friend part of the word reconciliation and never really consider that idea of exchanging hospitality, hostility for. What hostility? We're buds. 
They have no self-awareness. <laughs> they have no concept that God is a holy God and that we've messed up, right? There's two sides to that sort of misunderstanding of who God is. There are those who in their brokenness see the, the, no connection possible because they're so broken. And there are others who are so broken they don't even know they have a problem. And they think, why, why wouldn't God want to be my friend? I'm a cool guy, right? Come on, God, be my bud. And I suppose in a world where friends are defined by Facebook as simply anyone who kind of knows me, or, you know, this idea of following as uh, click on a button and listen to what I eat for breakfast, I guess we can understand why, you know, people are getting confused about what this terminology means in the New Testament. But the reality is, is that in both cases, God has taken the initiative and whether our brokenness is that we don't understand ourselves and we don't understand that maybe we do have a few things we need to work on in our lives or whether we're so aware of the things we need to work on in our lives that we never have any peace and never experience any joy, God is willing to meet us right there in that brokenness, exchanging Hostility for friendship. This is why Paul writes in verse 11 that he can boast in God. When he thinks of all that God has done, it's a boast to God. It's amazing. It's amazing what God has done. But we need to understand both the severity of the situation and the utter wonder of this new opportunity that God gives us. That his love is so great that it overcomes our brokenness, it overcomes every obstacle. And now we have this opportunity of responding. And it's because of that example that we have in God's initiative with us that we who want to imitate him as dearly beloved children we take risks at loving as well and loving others always includes risk doesn't it there's always the risk of rejection there's the risk of awkwardness there's the the risk of expending emotional energy on someone who's in pain or in need and it seems like the bucket never fills up and you're just giving and giving and you feel drained i mean there's always that risk there's always that risk and so sometimes we just sit back but god didn't sit back god saw the situation he saw the risk and yet he stepped up and he did something. And we need to follow that example that he gives us. And we need to step up as well. And we need to take the risk of loving other people, even if they're a little bit needy, even if they're a bit broken. Because guess what? We are too. We put on a good facade, you know. And, and many of us get really good at it. Layer upon layer upon layer of protecting ourselves from feeling anything. And what we need is to do what God did, to say, this is a problem, but I want to show love to such a great extent that I'm willing to meet it head on. I'm ready to deal with the problem. I'm ready to take a pathway of peace, a past pathway of forgiveness, 
and ultimately a pathway of friendship. And this is the example that stands before us. This example of exchanging hostility for friendship. You know, there are some people perhaps who are in the midst of conflict and they're not ready at this point to talk about exchanging hostility for friendship because they just want to get mad. And you know what? I understand. I've been hurt before. I've known what it's like to sit around and stew in anger. The point, though, we need to remember, always remember, that even though we may feel justified in doing that, and even though we may feel right, we're not actually living according to the standard of righteousness that God has given to us in this incredible story in Romans 5, 1 through 11. God was angry because of sin. God was deeply hurt by sin. The Bible says that. The Bible says that God is grieved at times by our actions. Yet, the Bible also says God is love. And you know, when we think about all the attributes of God, and there are many, I've come to believe that, the, that this idea of love, this, this attribute of love, is the organizing principle of everything else. God is just, God is holy, God is righteous. Yes, and absolutely, all those things. But if that's all that God is, then there would never be a cross. There would never be an exchange of hostility for friendship. It would just be judgment and wrath all the way down. And that's not the story that Romans 5 tells us. That's not the story that Jesus tells us. That's not the story of the New Testament. The story is that God is love, that God has taken every effort, taken every path to redeem us, to pull us back, to exchange hostility for friendship. And that is our model. That is our goal. You know, when we, when we are just sitting there angry, we need to all, at least understand in our hearts that we need to be taking steps to exchange hostility for friendship. If we want to follow Jesus, if we want to follow God, does it mean that it's, all the anger is going to go away? No. Does it mean that what happened to you is, is okay and right? No, of course not. But it means it needs to be dealt with and that the ultimate goal that God has in mind is the same as we see here that there is reconciliation, that there is forgiveness. We take the offense seriously, we deal with it, but yet we move on. We find forgiveness. We at least hold out that hope and create paths of friendship. If we are really saying yes to the call of Jesus, come follow me. Finally, we see in this whole idea, this passage and, and just this Paul's own life, we see that God's on a mission to make new friends. And this should be abundantly clear as we read scripture. Clearly, this is how the, new, the early Christians understood God's, God's purpose. Um, for instance, when the early Christians, I mean, Jesus said he was coming back. And so the early Christians noticed they were getting persecuted and getting, you know, knocked off in, in, in various places and uh, that things were hard. Their goods were being confiscated. They were, their rights were being taken away because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And they said, why is God delaying? And every time this question was asked, 
the answer comes back in some echo of this, that God is leaving room for more to come to him. God is patient because he wants more to experience his friendship, his love, and his grace. You know, if God were quick to respond, he would have come back um, 1,000, 1,500 years ago, 1,800 years ago. And where would that have left us? Well, that would have left us nowhere. <laughs> we wouldn't exist. It's the patience of God and his desire to make new friends that is why we're even here. And sometimes as followers of Jesus, we forget and we get busy in life and we get busy doing stuff and we forget that the only reason we exist at all is because God was patient and not sending his son to return because he wanted more people to come to know him. And we need to join God in this mission and understand that, uh, that God has a concern that new people enter into this relationship of grace and mercy and friendship that he extends to us. He extends it to all. And he's patient. But we need to get on board with him. And we need to be, as friends of God, people who move out of the comfort zones of our own lives. It's time for us to walk across the street and build relationship with our neighbor. It's time to move across the room and talk to that person who's all alone. Not with an agenda other than just simply sharing love and friendship. Allowing the love and the, the grace and the mercy that you've been bathed in because of Jesus Christ to actually flow out and positively affect other people around you. So it comes to a place where people are saying, what's different about you? What makes you this way? And we can share about this wonderful story of God exchanging hostility for friendship. And the fact is this, there's someone, you know, who, who could benefit from your quirky sense of humor or, you know, um, your story of, of pain and recovery. There, you know, churches are filled with lonely people because we're more comfortable in our loneliness than the discomfort of potential rejection. We're afraid to go and talk to the other person because they may not like us or they might reject us. And we sit in this world of walls because we're afraid. You know what? No one's been rejected in this world that more than God. Let me say, first and foremost. And yet, his full knowledge that he would be rejected more than accepted did not hold him back. He moved out. He stepped up. And he put in action a plan that has saved me and has saved all of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ and continues to save us and redeem us and shape us and transform us. And he calls us to allow our lives to open up and let a few people in, to see the joy, to see what God has done in us. And it's hard. I'm as afraid as anybody that people aren't going to like me. But we've got to get to a place where we say, you know what, maybe they won't. But I'm still going to love them. And I'm still going to step out. And I'm going to still offer a hand of friendship. Because it's worth it.
It's worth it for me because God has created us this way, but also it's worth it for others. God created you to be a blessing for someone else, not to sit around all alone, just living. He created us and he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. He created a woman so that they would have a connection, be fruitful and fill the world. God created us to connect. And as apprentices of Jesus Christ, as pilgrims on a journey, as storytellers of a new way, as friends of God, we need to leave old ways behind and we need to allow a gospel imagination to move us forward, empowered by God's spirit and focused on God's mission. Let's pray. God, we ask for your favor, not because we deserve it, but because we know that you're really good at extending favor and grace to those who don't deserve it. And God, we just pray that you would teach us and give us a spirit, not of fear, but a spirit that is willing to move out and move forward and show your love. Help us not to be afraid about rejection, but God, help us to be encouraged about the possibilities of friendship that await for us. Teach us this and help us. In Christ's name, amen.